Principal Matters Podcast, episode 176. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast, where each week I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, we're talking about leading through equity with my special guest, William Stubbs. William Stubbs is the middle school managing director of Uplift Education in Dallas, Texas, and the former instructional leadership director for Oklahoma City Public School District. Before his Oklahoma tenure, he served as the K-12 principal at Kennedy Charter Public School in Charlotte, North Carolina. And before joining Kennedy Charter Public School, William was the dean of students and upper school literature teacher at Kestrel Heights School in Durham, North Carolina. And he's been a principal intern at Reedy Creek Middle School, Wake County Public School in Cary, North Carolina. He holds an MSA from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and a BA in English from Shaw University. William Stubbs, it is so great to see you today. Thank you so much for being a guest on Principal Matters. Why don't you fill the gaps in on that introduction and share anything else that may surprise listeners to know about you? Yeah, sure. First, thanks for this opportunity. It's been great just preparing for this. I know we we met almost a year ago. And during that conversation, we try to figure out uh, what exactly, how can we support one another in the work? And so I appreciate you staying in contact with me after I relocated to Texas. Well, you've been in a lot of places, but I had the privilege of meeting you in my own home state before you took off for Texas. And I appreciate that too, William, that we've stayed connected because I have been learning from you for a long time before we met and even since we've met on uh, ways that leaders can better understand equity in the work that they're doing. Yes. So it brings me to, uh, I guess, in sharing more about myself, I knew from uh, my early years that I was going into education. Uh, I actually have educators on both sides of my family, my paternal and maternal side. And and so uh, I knew quite early on in life that uh, I was going to become a teacher. Uh, I've always been passionate about reading. I've always been passionate about learning and growing. And along the way, I have have fine-tuned that focus to uh, building leadership capacity. And so uh, I've been blessed in every uh, position that I've been in to not only grow and be uh, exposed to professional development opportunities that have caused that. Uh, I think about when I was in undergraduate school, an undergraduate student at Shaw University, how I was a part of the Breakthrough Collaborative, which a very forward-thinking program that allows college students to teach middle school students. And so I did that while I was in undergraduate school And through that program, I was able to mesh both theory and practice. And so if you can imagine a sophomore in college studying education and on selected Saturdays and in the summer being able to put that that practice or uh, that theory into practice, uh, that was me. And I took a a, a lot of uh, joy and appreciation for that experience. And thereafter, I uh, enrolled in Teach for America. And so uh, I did two years uh, with Teach for America teaching high school English. Uh, and then I went to KIPP schools uh, for a year and then returned to uh, to the district. And so much of my experience, if you look at my resume, and I didn't realize this until uh, until late, but there is this pendulum swing of district and charter and district and charter. And so I've been uh, exposed to a lot of opportunities. And uh, in Oklahoma City, I've was able to be involved with the district and learned a lot about the community, felt a sense of, of connection and belonging, and was also able to, to get a new title, and that is of edupreneur. 
And so uh, I, in October of 2018, I participated in the OKC Shark Tank and won that. And so uh, I somehow have to wrap my mind around calling myself an entrepreneur. That is a newfangled term, but I'm excited. And I guess that would be uh, my claim to fame or something about myself that most people don't know. Oh, that's a great story. And I know that when you left Oklahoma, William, you took a wealth of knowledge with you and you had already made a huge impact in your own community. For Principal Matters listeners, um, I first connected with you via Twitter. I remember being online one day and looking through some of the Twitter feeds that were happening and I saw a conversation happening on in a handle for Black male educators. And what struck me was the thoughtful, deliberate ways that you and other participants were interacting with each other through great books, great conversation, lots of statistics that were driving the ways that you think about leadership in your school. And that's really what motivated me to reach out to you first and just sit down and have a conversation with you about what are the things that you're learning that would be helpful for other leaders to have on their radars too. And so, William, I just want to jump into that because you spend a lot of time looking at trends in leadership and in education, specifically for Black males. And I just want you to take some time to help us understand as leaders, how can we better understand the trends that are happening within our own field when it comes to black male leadership in schools? Sure. Uh, I'd like to start since you spoke of black male educators talk. Uh, We have a presence. We've created a digital community for black male educators on Twitter. And we meet every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time for about an hour. And through that community, we pose anywhere five to 10 thought-provoking questions around a critical topic. And so what we've been very intentional about is the questions and content that we bring to the Twitter sphere we don't want them to be surface deep uh, in exchange. We, we try to uh, make sure that those that are participating on the chat, that they leave with a better awareness of themselves, uh, that they're also uh, connected to others in the work. Because uh, being a black male educator, given they're only 2% of the teaching workforce is that of black male educators, at times it can be very isolating. And so we're intentional about what we bring, the questions that we bring. And uh, we have a system of follow-up where at times we will actually reach out to participants who may be reaching out for support, for resources, for questions and trying to navigate this educational sector. And I think that's what distinguishes distinguishes us from other Twitter chats is that it, it very much is a community. Many of us talk offline or have created Voxer groups Many of us connect at conferences. And so we've we've done just that, this create this community as a support. And so I'm grateful to have been a part of that work. But when you speak about trends there, I guess two things I really want to talk about. One, and, and I'll just make a statement and then sort of unpack that a little bit. The statement is that diversity matters, specifically in the teacher workforce, especially in settings that are experiencing shifts in demographics. And so as the shifts take place, likewise, the shifts should take place within the teaching force. And so as a former principal, one thing I try to commit myself to doing is to make sure that my student population and teacher population were closely aligned. And I just saw the direct impact that that had on students, their self-esteem, their connectedness to the uh, academic environment. Uh, dropout rates, suspension rates. Uh, So I saw that firsthand for me to be able to have individuals in the classroom and in the school building who reflected or resembled uh, some of the experiences that my students had. With the BME's talk initiative that we're doing, we've also found in just polling many of our participants that many of them 
when we asked them about their experiences with black male educators in their K-12 or even their higher education experience, we noticed uh, from our data that many of our participants or or survey respondees did not have black male educators at the early childhood education level, which was interesting. Uh, Majority of them had a black male educator when they were in middle or high school, and then fewer of them had it or had one when in college. Uh, Some of them actually shared that many of them did not have a black male educator until they got to college. And so we saw this trend of where black male educators were on the spectrum in terms of representation uh, amongst our followers. I'll additionally share that teachers of color oftentimes are able to connect with the experiences of their students, uh, which further supports the notion of diversity in the work, the teaching uh, workforce matters. And so we've been conscious around that work and around those trends. I can tell you that uh, this is a, a hot topic. You will find that there are a lot of initiatives that are taking place around this topic of recruiting more and retaining and developing black male educators or teachers of color. I can think of one work that that's taken place at 13 different universities for the recruitment purposes, and that's the Call Me Mister program. And so that program is very intentional about um, not only recruiting and retaining uh, black male educators, but also connecting them to uh, communities that have the need for a greater representation. So the trends have definitely been more at the teacher level. And I don't know of the research that uh, that's taken place now for the school leadership level, but we do know that school leaders uh, set the tone for their community. And so uh, to have diversity matter and to have people of color at the table to represent the experiences of uh, the students in their building, while continuing along with uh, the shifts that are happening in education um, around demographics, uh, just be, just stand out as being uh, trends that we have to be uh, aware of. Let's park there for just a minute, William, because those are really two very important points. Diversity matters and teachers of color can often connect with learning of students of color. And so talk for a little bit about in your own practice, how that looks like with examples, because as you are leading a school or you, I know you now train principals who lead schools, what are some s- specific strategies or mindsets that leaders can have when they are looking at their populations, when they're considering hiring practices, what are some of the ways that that principals can begin to rethink some of the ways that they approach their own staffs, their own schools, when it comes to building a staff that represents the populations that they're serving? Sure. There definitely has to be some strategy in place as to how we move toward diversity and equity and inclusion. And I think that's the starting point. The starting point is that uh, district leaders, school leaders have to be very clear on what diversity means and why diversity is important. They have to be knowledgeable that we're not taking on diversity because it's a trend or because um, we're being told to do this. Like it has to really be at the heart and core of, of the system and the work. Of, uh, of those who are in leadership positions. So I'd say number one, there has to be a coming to the table to define what diversity is and its importance in a specific content. Thereafter, when we talk about things that, that I've seen that have been beneficial around strategy, 
is also developing systems of professional learning or professional development that allow staff to really interact with some critical topics. Uh, one, in, in one example I can think of is that around implicit bias uh, that oftentimes can be a barrier for diversity and equity. And so when we're able to uh, make space for staff to identify and talk about uh, their own biases and implicit bias, and then move forward in a safe environment and, and a safe learning environment, uh, I think we're going to be able to see some gains and some results. I have mm-hmm. known uh, principals too, and the way I've seen implicit bias creep into the, the school leadership has been a lot through uh, through hiring practices. And so what I've done as a principal supervisor is really try to encourage Uh, principals to have strategy around how they view talent and recruit talent, because that strategy should allow them to have a diverse representation of experiences in the classroom and in the building. You know, William, when you talk about things like creating safe places for people to have conversations about implicit bias or trying to rethink their own strategies and hiring practices and how they recognize talent you know, the first thing that comes to mind for me is how do you engage communities in conversations for which some people will be uncomfortable because people don't often like to talk about the things that may be those hidden biases or they may not even be aware because they're hidden. You know, last year I was reading a book that I shared with you by Malcolm Gladwell called Blink, The Power of Thinking Without Thinking. And and he does quite a bit of research on the statistics that show the implicit biases that almost all of us have, but especially those of us within education, if we don't realize those implicit biases that we have, we often are making decisions blindly. We, we don't see the things that we don't see. So how do you encourage those conversations among staff or what are some, some ways, whether that's book studies or engaging conversations, what are some ways that leaders can engage in those kinds of conversations to begin to open up those important issues? Sure. I've seen it work uh, successfully when the leaders have the conversations first, Uh, when leaders are able to address some implicit biases that might uh, exist in in that district or in that school or in that setting. I think the learning begins with both both head and heart with leadership first. And once leadership uh, is fully aware and, and or conscious of what implicit bias is and how it can be a barrier, then I think thereafter you can begin to uh, attack things like policies and practices that impact the day-to-day operations of schools and our communities. As it relates to examples of, of how I've seen implicit bias manifest itself, uh, it's been around the way that school leaders view talent. And so I've worked with school leaders on, on just this topic. There is There are assumptions and misconceptions about individuals based upon the universities that they represent, you know, whether it be private universities or public universities, whether they be historically black colleges or online universities. And so being able to address the hiring practices and ensuring that there are structures and systems in place that allow us to be equitable and fair during that process of recruitment and selection and retention, uh, I think that's uh, that's a big win because we know the impact that the teacher has uh, on, on student outcomes. Uh, so I think that would probably be the best example I can think of that we oftentimes don't think of implicit bias being there, but oftentimes it is. Talk to the principal for just a moment because you know, William, I work with a lot of principals in urban, suburban, rural settings, but I'm, op- I'm thinking about principals sometimes in those 
populations that are, because there are lots of suburban and rural communities that are growing in diversity too. And some of them are growing in diversity where their teaching staff or their education population or their leadership do not reflect at all the kind of diversity that they have among their students. How do, how do leaders like that begin to attract candidates of diversity into their communities when that community itself, um, at least among the adults there, does not seem to reflect uh, the student population? Yeah, so I think it goes back to the, to the point about having a strategy around how you address diversity. Uh, number one, making sure the vision is clear. And then thereafter, uh, being strategic about the places where you go to speak on opportunities to join that staff or join that community. There has to be a clear vision and focus on that. And I and I can ex- tell you from my own experiences, when I have gone into communities that have been welcoming and supportive, uh, they have been uh, more aware of, of what my needs are as an educator, and, and they've been able to support me likewise. And so I think it's important that we consider what a pipeline looks like, career pipeline for uh, educators of color. I've also seen there be some impact in the substitute pool as well as the TA pool, being able to develop talent in those pools to be a part of the pipeline where some of those individuals will, through support or through guidance, be able to Uh, become teachers. And then after becoming teachers, Mm -hmm. become teacher leaders. And then thereafter become department heads and become administrators. Uh, And so I think that a pipeline, having a pipeline in place has to be a part of the work, as well as creating the conditions for both teaching and learning in that community and environment that celebrate diversity. Um, People will not stay where they are not recognized and celebrated. And so teachers have to be, uh, as well as administrators, have to be conscious of that as they begin to welcome uh, the shifts uh, from the student population, as well as the need for diversity of the teacher population. Let's get down to the nitty gritty for a few minutes too, William, in terms of ways that would be helpful for school leaders to understand how implicit biases may affect the students that they're serving. Because sometimes I think we th- we think or we assume that our policies or practices are non-discriminatory. We just assume that there's uh, that because it's in writing, that therefore it applies the same to everyone. So what are some ways that sometimes we may not even be aware that our policies or practices are inadvertently affecting certain communities within our student population? Sure. I think of two areas in particular that uh, I've had a lot of interest in. One has been around uh, student codes of conduct and, and discipline. I think if If school districts, school leaders, uh, district leaders are really well aware of what zero tolerance environments look like, what they produce in the atmosphere and how they can uh, play on implicit bias or further perpetuate thoughts of of implicit bias. I think having knowledge of what zero tolerance environments look like and being able to work against that to more restorative or guided discipline environments, I think that there's some high leverage to be to be uh, accounted for there. Also, when you look at the academic, the gifted and talented programs, uh, when you look at special education, sometimes our processes are in place where we do not have a clear system that identifies students who are gifted and talented, or there aren't um, multiple assessments to really ascertain what that gift or talent is. I think that there's uh, there's something to look at there, as well as over-diagnosing 
or over-identifying uh, students of color for special education services. And so I think if we're knowledgeable of these structures that we have in education that can sometimes be antiquated and based upon status quo practices, uh, we begin to move or continuously move in an environment that has inequitable practices. Well, I want to come full circle and talk for just a few minutes to William about why it is important for students, especially students of color, to have other people around them, especially their teachers or their leaders who look like them, represent them. Why is that important? And then I'd like you to share a little bit about the initiative that you worked on in Oklahoma City with the Shark Tank and some of the, some of the creative ways that, you've, that you have developed of helping grow leaders among young Black men. Sure. So the importance that I've seen firsthand is that in an area where you're underrepresented, to see those who are like, who, who have some experiences that you have or uh, who reflect some of the interests that you've had, it does a lot to your self-confidence. It does a lot to increase self-efficacy. And it also has a direct impact on, on academic uh, gains and outcomes. And so when you think about the Black Male Initiative that that we worked for through the OKC Shark Tank for Oklahoma City Public Schools, there was a focus on four specific stakeholders. First being the student. So for black male students, we were working to create mentoring opportunities for a black male students, specifically those on the Northeast side in that and in those communities. The second one and the work for those uh, students was to increase uh, self-efficacy as well as uh, advanced student outcomes. The second uh, group was the teacher. And so we were very intentional about recruiting more men of color uh, for Oklahoma City Public Schools, starting with this pipeline, starting with teacher assistants uh, and going all the way up to district leaders. And so there was a need to have more representation in schools of, of black male educators. The other piece was to create mentoring opportunities with both black male educators and black males in the community. And so uh, we had the student, we had the teacher, we had the mentor, and then we created an advisory opportunity for an advisory board that was comprised of uh, black male educators and successful black males in that, uh, in that community. And the intent for that was to increase their awareness of opportunities to serve on boards for organizations that uh, were mission-driven organizations, but that had a direct impact on uh, education, maybe housing, specific things that would benefit the whole child. Uh, so that was the work as a part of the Black Male, um, the Black Male Initiative for Oklahoma City Public Schools. And uh, excited that even in uh, relocating to Dallas, that the district is still interested in developing that work uh, and is putting things in place under their Office of Equity and Accountability to create opportunities, more opportunities for, uh, for both community and schools to come together to further uh, support those four stakeholders. Well, William, these are such important conversations, and this is one of the reasons why I, I value your friendship so much, because you have spent time not only practicing these strengths within your own leadership, but also leading others to practice these strengths too, but also opening the eyes of leaders to think about things that they haven't thought about before as well, not only within the black male leadership community, but for leaders everywhere. And so I'm also curious, because I know you're a reader, um, what are some resources that you would recommend for school leaders if they want to have 
a conversation with their own staff or if they want to begin a conversation among their leadership teams, what are some books or resources that you think would be helpful for them to take a look at and to study so that they begin to expand their own thinking? Sure. There, there are a ton of, and I can share a link with you uh, following this podcast. There are a ton of, of things that are coming out. I think the important part right now is to follow the research to understand what specifically is being uh, put in place to keep Black male educators in the classroom and in education, because there's six reasons why the research shows there are six reasons why Black male educators are not staying in the classroom. Uh, the six will include this notion of being a loner, right? And that is being recruited or being employed by a district and being one of few Black male educators in that school. And so not having a community like yourself uh, that, that oftentimes can work against the duration of that person in that particular setting. So that's the, the notion of being a loner as opposed to working in an environment where there are several. Uh, the other is being counted on to be the disciplinarian for uh, classrooms or for schools and oftentimes being recruited for coaching roles or disciplinarian roles and not being viewed as an instructional leader. And so that's number two. Number three is what there was a roadblock around being able to uh, meet all of the necessary requirements for uh, for licensure. And each state has its own different uh, set of requirements. And so what Oklahoma City Public Schools does is uh, reimburses individuals who have taken that uh, those exams and passed those exams in order to have full licensure. And so it's the isolation, it's the disciplinarian pieces, uh, it's working in an environment where the license pieces have not been, been fully uh, acquired. Uh, in addition to that, the pay issue becomes, you know, as you look from state to state, there is uh, just a strain on educators to make a, a livable income. And so uh, that was one thing that we were, we were looking at. Uh, of course, you know, being involved at the state level, there's a lot of work toward changing things in place to, to make the education attractive, but also one where uh, it had livable means. Uh, the other one uh, would include being in an environment where there was a supportive school leader. And so that was number five. And then the last one was being in a school system where, or in a school where there were opportunities for growth, whether that be professional development or professional learning. And so it was the opportunity to really master one's craft and, and to grow as an instructional leader. So those six, I think when there's knowledge of how those six can keep black male educators in education, I think it's helpful for districts, school leaders, district leaders, superintendents, boards to really work toward how do we meet some of those needs so that we can continue on our on our means to have uh, diversity at the forefront of what we do? William, those are rich, rich takeaways. And Principal Matters listeners, I want to encourage you to stay connected with William Stubbs. And William, I would love for you to, as you're sharing some closing thoughts, also share some ways that readers or listeners can stay connected with you, can find more access to your resources and can follow you on social media. So what are some of your closing thoughts and what are ways that people can stay connected with you? Yeah, sure. So to stay connected, uh, I am on Twitter. Uh, my handle is WM Stubbs and you are definitely invited to join us on Tuesday nights for Black Male Educators Talk. Uh, we have found that while the community is designed for Black Male Educators to connect, to reflect and to grow, 
uh, we also have a large following and support from non-Black male educators. And so it's always a joy to see things be retweeted, for individuals to reach out to us uh, privately to ask for clarity on specific things that have been said or uh, to leverage us as a resource. And so it's good to know that the space, the digital community is created for Black male educators, but there are others who benefit from it. Uh, And in terms of a closing thought, I would say that as we talk about implicit bias and as we talk about equity uh, and as we talk about diversity, it's helpful for uh, districts to create professional learning and or positions that really allow us to focus on uh, policy and practices, but also to really operationalize where we are when it comes to or operationalize things that relate directly to uh, diversity, equity and inclusion. Well, Principal Matters listeners, I know you are learning just like I am as I'm listening to William and thinking about how your leadership reflects the populations that you serve and how you could better create systems, practices, understandings, conversations, so that the people that you're working with are reflecting the populations that you're serving. And just to wrap up those six things that William said earlier on reasons why so many Black males leave our profession, one, feeling alone or isolated, two, being counted on to just do discipline or coaching, but not being viewed as an instructional leader, three, difficulties in navigating the credentialing requirements, four, pay, five, wanting a supportive school leader in the work that they're doing, and six, wanting to be in a place or a district that encourages growth. And no matter where you're serving, whether you're in an urban, suburban, or rural setting, no matter what your populations look like, those are important takeaways for all of us about our staffs, teachers, our school communities. How can we build the kind of place where people feel wanted, where they feel belonged, where they feel supported, and where where they have an opportunity for productive outcomes too. So William, thank you so much for the time that you spend serving schools, the time that you spend serving school leaders, and for the ways that you are enhancing the conversations that that I'm having with principals as well. And just for those of you that live in Oklahoma, I just want to put a big plug in for William because February 12th and 13th of 2020, we're hosting a secondary and middle level association conference in Oklahoma City at the Embassy Suites Medical Center Conference Center in downtown Oklahoma City. And William's going to be a part of our breakout session unless he gets booked in another setting. But for now, our goal is to have William with us in February to as a part of a breakout session on equity and diversity. And so William, we're so excited to have you back in Oklahoma in the spring semester. And I thank you again for the work that you're doing in Principal Matters. Listeners, thank you for doing what matters. And we'll talk to you soon. If you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out all my posts at williamdparker.com. 